Reflections on the Revolution in France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Reflections on the Revolution in France, and on the proceedings in certain societies in London relative to that event, in a letter intended to have been sent to a gentleman in Paris, 1790, by Edmund Burke. A man is fallen indeed, when he is thus flattered, the anodyne draught of oblivion, thus drugged, is well calculated to preserve a galling wakefulness, and to feed the living ulcer of a corroding memory. Thus to administer the opiate portion of amnesty, powdered with all the ingredients of scorn and contempt, is to hold to his lips, instead of the balm of hurt minds, the cup of human misery full to the brim, and to force him to drink it to the dregs. Yielding to reasons at least as forcible as those which were so delicately urged in the compliment on the new year, the King of France will probably endeavor to forget these events and that compliment. But history, who keeps a durable record of all our acts, and exercises her awful censure over the proceedings of all sorts of sovereigns, will not forget either those events or the era of this liberal refinement in the intercourse of mankind. History will record that on the morning of the 6th of October, 1789, the King and Queen of France, after a day of confusion, alarm, dismay, and slaughter, lay down under the pledged security of public faith to indulge nature in a few hours of respite and troubled melancholy repose. From this sleep the Queen was first startled by the voice of the sentinel at her door, who cried out to her to save herself by flight that this was the last proof of fidelity he could give, that they were upon him, and he was dead. Instantly he was cut down. A band of cruel ruffians and assassins, reeking with his blood, rushed into the chamber of the queen, and pierced with a hundred strokes of bayonets and poniards in the bed, from whence this persecuted woman had but just time to fly almost naked, and through ways unknown to the murderers, had escaped to seek refuge at the feet of a king and husband not secure of his own life for a moment. This king, to say no more of him, and this queen, and their infant children, who once would have been the pride and hope of a great and generous people, were then forced to abandon the sanctuary of the most splendid palace in the world, which they left swimming in blood, polluted by massacre, and strewed with scattered limbs and mutilated carcasses. Thence they were conducted into the capital of their kingdom. Two had been selected from the unprovoked, unresisted, promiscuous slaughter, which was made of the gentlemen of birth and family, who composed the king's bodyguard. These two gentlemen, with all the parade of an execution of justice, were cruelly and publicly dragged to the block, and beheaded in the great court of the palace. Their heads were stuck upon spears, and led the procession whilst the royal captives who followed in the train were slowly moved along amidst the horrid yells and shrilling screams and frantic dances and infamous contumelies and all the unutterable abominations of the furies of hell in the abused shape of the vilest of women after they had been made to taste drop by drop more than the bitterness of death in the slow torture of a journey of twelve miles protracted to six hours they were under a guard composed of those very soldiers who had thus conducted them through this famous triumph lodged in one of the old palaces of paris now converted into a bastille for kings 
is this a triumph to be consecrated at altars to be commemorated with grateful thanksgiving to be offered to the divine humanity with fervent prayer and enthusiastic ejaculation these theban and thracian orgies acted in france and applauded only in the old jewry i assure you kindle prophetic enthusiasm in the minds but of very few people in this kingdom although a saint and apostle who may have revelations of his own and who has so completely vanquished all the mean superstitions of the heart may incline to think it pious and decorous to compare it with the entrance into the world of the prince of peace proclaimed in a holy temple by a venerable sage and not long before not worse announced by the voice of angels to the quiet innocence of shepherds at first i was at a loss to account for this fit of unguarded transport i knew indeed that the sufferings of monarchs make a delicious repast to some sort of palates there were reflections which might serve to keep this appetite within some bounds of temperance but when i took one circumstance into my consideration i was obliged to confess that much allowance ought to be made for the society and that the temptation was too strong for common discretion i mean the circumstance of the eopean of the triumph the animating cry which called for all the bishops to be hanged on the lamp-posts footnote tous les évêques à la lanterne end of footnote might well have brought forth a burst of enthusiasm on the foreseen consequences of this happy day i allow to so much enthusiasm some little deviation from prudence i allow this prophet to break forth into hymns of joy and thanksgiving on an event which appears like the precursor of the millennium and the projected fifth monarchy in the destruction of all church establishments there was however as in all human affairs there is in the midst of this joy something to exercise the patience of these worthy gentlemen and to try the long-suffering of their faith the actual murder of the king and queen and their child was wanting to the other auspicious circumstances of this beautiful day the actual murder of the bishops though called for by so many holy ejaculations was also wanting a group of regicide and sacrilegious slaughter was indeed boldly sketched but it was only sketched it unhappily was left unfinished in this great history piece of the massacre of innocence what hardy pencil of a great master from the school of the rights of men will finish it is to be seen hereafter the age has not yet the complete benefit of that diffusion of knowledge that has undermined superstition and error and the king of france wants another object or two to consign to oblivion in consideration of all the good which is to arise from his own sufferings and the patriotic crimes of an enlightened age footnote it is proper here to refer to a letter written upon this subject by an eye-witness that eye-witness was one of the most honest intelligent and eloquent members of the national assembly one of the most active and zealous reformers of the state he was obliged to secede from the assembly and he afterwards became a voluntary exile on account of the horrors of this pious triumph and the dispositions of men who profiting of crimes if not causing them have taken the lead in public affairs this military man had not so good nerves as the peaceable gentlemen of the old jewry see monsieur monnier's narrative of these transactions a man also of honor and virtue and talents and therefore a fugitive 
End of footnote. Although this work of our new light and knowledge did not go to the length that in all probability it was intended it should be carried, yet I must think that such treatment of any human creatures must be shocking to any but those who are made for accomplishing revolutions. But I cannot stop here. Influenced by the inborn feeling of my nature, and not being illuminated by a single ray of this new-sprung modern light, I confess to you, sir, that the exalted rank of the person's suffering, and particularly the sex, the beauty, and the amiable qualities of the descendant of so many kings and emperors, with the tender age of royal infants, insensible only through infancy and innocence of the cruel outrages to which their parents were exposed, instead of being a subject of exultation, adds not a little to my sensibility on that most melancholy occasion. I hear that the august person, who was the principal object of our preacher's triumph, though he supported himself, felt much on that shameful occasion. As a man, it became him to feel for his wife and his children, and the faithful guards of his person that were massacred in cold blood about him. As a prince, it became him to feel for the strange and frightful transformation of his civilized subjects, and to be more grieved for them than solicitous for himself. It derogates little from his fortitude, while it adds infinitely to the honor of his humanity. I am very sorry to say it, very sorry indeed, that such personages are in a situation in which it is not unbecoming in us to praise the virtues of the great. I hear, and I rejoice to hear, that the great lady, the other object of the triumph, has borne that day, one is interested that beings made for suffering should suffer well, and that she bears all the succeeding days, that she bears the imprisonment of her husband and her own captivity, and the exile of her friends, and the insulting adulation of addresses, and the whole weight of her accumulated wrongs, with a serene patience, in a manner suited to her rank and race, and becoming the offspring of a sovereign distinguished for her piety and her courage, that like her she has lofty sentiments, that she feels with the dignity of a Roman matron, that in the last extremity she will save herself from the last disgrace, and that, if she must fall, she will fall by no ignoble hand. It is now sixteen or seventeen years since I saw the Queen of France, then the Dauphiness, at Versailles, and surely never lighted on this orb, which she hardly seemed to touch, a more delightful vision. I saw her just above the horizon, decorating and cheering the elevated sphere she just began to move in, glittering like the morning star, full of life and splendor and joy. Oh, what a revolution, and what an heart must I have, to contemplate without emotion that elevation and that fall, Little did I dream when she added titles of veneration to those of enthusiastic, distant, respectful love, that she should ever be obliged to carry the sharp antidote against disgrace concealed in that bosom. Little did I dream that I should have lived to see such disasters fallen upon her in a nation of gallant men, in a nation of men of honor and of cavaliers. I thought ten thousand swords must have leapt from their scabbards, to avenge even a look that threatened her with insult. But the age of chivalry is gone, that of sophisters, economists, and calculators has succeeded, and the glory of Europe is extinguished for ever. Never, never more, shall we behold that generous loyalty to rank and sex, 
that proud submission that dignified obedience that subordination of the heart which kept alive even in servitude itself the spirit of an exalted freedom the unbought grace of life the cheap defence of nations the nurse of manly sentiment and heroic enterprise is gone it is gone that sensibility of principle that chastity of honour which felt a stain like a wound which inspired courage whilst it mitigated ferocity which ennobled whatever it touched and under which vice itself lost half its evil by losing all its grossness this mixed system of opinion and sentiment had its origin in the ancient chivalry and the principle though varied in its appearance by the varying state of human affairs subsisted and influenced through a long succession of generation even to the time we live in if it should ever be totally extinguished the loss i fear will be great it is this which has given its character to modern europe it is this which has distinguished it under all its forms of government and distinguished it to its advantage from the states of asia and possibly from those states which flourished in the most brilliant periods of the antique world it was this which without confounding ranks had produced a noble equality and handed it down through all the gradations of social life it was this opinion which mitigated kings into companions and raised private men to be fellows with kings without force or opposition it subdued the fierceness of pride and power it obliged sovereigns to submit to the soft collar of social esteem compelled stern authority to submit to elegance and gave a domination vanquisher of laws to be subdued by manners but now all is to be changed all the pleasing illusions which made power gentle and obedience liberal which harmonized the different shades of life and which by a bland assimilation incorporated into politics the sentiments which beautify and soften private society are to be dissolved by this new conquering empire of light and reason all the decent drapery of life is to be rudely torn off all the superadded ideas furnished from the wardrobe of a moral imagination which the heart owns and the understanding ratifies as necessary to cover the defects of our naked shivering nature and to raise it to dignity in our own estimation are to be exploded as a ridiculous absurd and antiquated fashion on this scheme of things a king is but a man a queen is but a woman a woman is but an animal and an animal not of the highest order all homage paid to the sex in general as such and without distinct views is to be regarded as romance and folly regicide and parricide and sacrilege are but fictions of superstition corrupting jurisprudence by destroying its simplicity the murder of a king or a queen or a bishop or a father are only common homicide and if the people are by any chance or in any way gainers by it a sort of homicide much the most pardonable and into which we ought not to make too severe a scrutiny on the scheme of this barbarous philosophy which is the offspring of cold hearts and muddy understandings and which is as void of solid wisdom as it is destitute of all taste and elegance laws are to be supported only by their own terrors and by the concern which each individual may find in them from his own private speculations or can spare to them from his own private interests in the groves of their academy at the end of every visto you see nothing but the gallows 
nothing is left which engages the affections on the part of the commonwealth on the principles of this mechanic philosophy our institutions can never be embodied if i may use the expression in persons so as to create in us love veneration admiration or attachment but that sort of reason which banishes the affections is incapable of filling their place these public affections combined with manners are required sometimes as supplements sometimes as correctives always as aids to law the precept given by a wise man as well as a great critic for the construction of poems is equally true as to states non satis est pulcra esse poemata dulcia sunto there ought to be a system of manners in every nation which a well-formed mind would be disposed to relish to make us love our country our country ought to be lovely but power of some kind or other will survive the shock in which manners and opinions perish and it will find other and worse means for its support the usurpation which in order to subvert ancient institutions has destroyed ancient principles will hold power by arts similar to those by which it has acquired it when the old feudal and chivalrous spirit of fealty which by freeing kings from fear freed both kings and subjects from the precautions of tyranny shall be extinct in the minds of men plots and assassinations will be anticipated by preventive murder and preventive confiscation and that long roll of grim and bloody maxims which form the political code of all power not standing on its own honour and on the honour of those who are to obey it kings will be tyrants from policy when subjects are rebels from principle when ancient opinions and rules of life are taken away the loss cannot possibly be estimated from that moment we have no compass to govern us nor can we know distinctly to what port we steer europe undoubtedly taken in a mass was in a flourishing condition the day on which your revolution was completed how much of that prosperous state was owing to the spirit of our old manners and opinions is not easy to say but as such causes cannot be indifferent in their operation we must presume that on the whole their operation was beneficial we are but too apt to consider things in the state in which we find them without sufficiently adverting to the causes by which they have been produced and possibly may be upheld nothing is more certain than that our manners our civilization and all the good things which are connected with manners and with civilization have in this european world of ours depended for ages upon two principles and were indeed the result of both combined i mean the spirit of a gentleman and the spirit of religion the nobility and the clergy the one by profession and the other by patronage kept learning in existence even in the midst of arms and confusion and whilst governments were rather in their causes than formed learning paid back what it had received to nobility and to priesthood and paid it with usury by enlarging their ideas and by furnishing their minds happy if they had all continued to know their indissoluble union and their proper place happy if learning not debauched by ambition had been satisfied to continue the instructor and not aspired to be the master along with its natural protectors and guardians learning will be cast into the mire and trodden down under the hoofs of a swinish multitude footnote see the fate of bailly and condorcet 
supposed to be here particularly alluded to compare the circumstances of the trial and execution of the former with this prediction End of footnote. if as i suspect modern letters owe more than they are always willing to own to ancient manners so do other interests which we value full as much as they are worth even commerce and trade and manufacture the gods of our economical politicians are themselves perhaps but creatures are themselves but effects which as first causes we choose to worship they certainly grew under the same shade in which learning flourished they too may decay with their natural protecting principles with you for the present at least they all threaten to disappear together where trade and manufactures are wanting to a people and the spirit of nobility and religion remains sentiment supplies and not always ill supplies their place but if commerce and the arts should be lost in an experiment to try how well a state may stand without these old fundamental principles what sort of a thing must be a nation of gross stupid ferocious and at the same time poor and sordid barbarians destitute of religion honor or manly pride possessing nothing at present and hoping for nothing hereafter i wish you may not be going fast and by the shortest cut to that horrible and disgustful situation already there appears a poverty of conception a coarseness and vulgarity in all the proceedings of the assembly and of all their instructors their liberty is not liberal their science is presumptuous ignorance their humanity is savage and brutal it is not clear whether in england we learn those grand and decorous principles and manners of which considerable traces yet remain from you or whether you took them from us but to you i think we trace them best you seem to me to be gentis incunabula nostre france has always more or less influenced manners in england and when your fountain is choked up and polluted the stream will not run long or not run clear with us or perhaps with any nation this gives all europe in my opinion but too close and connected a concern in what is done in france excuse me therefore if i have dwelt too long on the atrocious spectacle of the sixth of october seventeen eighty nine or have given too much scope to the reflections which have arisen in my mind on occasion of the most important of all revolutions which may be dated from that day i mean a revolution in sentiments manners and moral opinions as things now stand with everything respectable destroyed without us and an attempt to destroy within us every principle of respect one is almost forced to apologize for harboring the common feelings of men why do i feel so differently from the reverend dr price and those of his lay flock who will choose to adopt the sentiments of his discourse for this plain reason because it is natural i should because we are so made as to be affected at such spectacles with melancholy sentiments upon the unstable condition of mortal prosperity and the tremendous uncertainty of human greatness because in those natural feelings we learn great lessons because in events like these our passions instruct our reason because when kings are hurled from their thrones by the supreme director of this great drama and become the objects of insult to the base and of pity to the good we behold such disasters in the moral as we should behold a miracle in the physical order of things
we are alarmed into reflection our minds as it has long since been observed are purified by terror and pity our weak unthinking pride is humbled under the dispensations of a mysterious wisdom some tears might be drawn from me if such a spectacle were exhibited on the stage i should be truly ashamed of finding in myself that superficial theatric sense of painted distress whilst i could exult over it in real life with such a perverted mind i could never venture to show my face at a tragedy people would think the tears that garrick formerly or that siddons not long since have extorted from me were the tears of hypocrisy i should know them to be the tears of folly 